Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney, are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered, your home for Montreal Canadiens news, information, and entertainment. Hosted by Matt Smith and the hockey writers Blaine Padvang and Treg Toxic Wilson. Our goal is to provide you unfiltered hockey discussion, entertainment, and sometimes bad life advice. have a problem getting big city slams are you not getting the gains at the gym well don't mortgage your future on rental supplements get burger arms burger arms get you the gains you need burger arms gets rid of all the bad attitude and builds better character so you can get the gains you need get burger arms burger arms burger arms today not a real project mate. may make you trade your favorite player for a mountain man do not use if you're healthy, if you want it loyalty, buy a dog. And welcome to another exciting episode of Habs Unfiltered. I am your host, Blaine Padve. Uh, this week, I am joined only by my co-host, Matt Smith. Good evening, Blaine. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty well, and I'm pretty sure we're both doing way better than Treg is right now. Yeah, I heard he's uh, I heard he's pretty sick right now, and you know that it's pretty rare that he misses a show. So obviously we're gonna wish him all the best, and that he returns to health, and he'll be back uh, doing a show with us uh, very soon. I have it on good authority, <clears throat> his wife, that he is stuck on the toilet with a terrible oh, yeah with a terrible gastro. So oh, so hashtag not COVID. Hashtag not COVID. So <laughs> it's a weight loss program. Yeah. Too many kale smoothies and selfies in front of the mirror at the gym, I guess. Tina did say she had to open a couple of windows just to... Oh. Yeah. Well, that's that's kind of his normal smell, so yeah. maybe it was just... Yeah. It's all those protein shakes. Absolutely. They're, they're killer. Yeah. And the steroids. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got to do the Bergy arms. He was, he's taking... He's got he's to catch up to Bergevin somehow, yeah. and he ain't going to do it on his own. Well, he was taking the Bergy arms supplement, and I think that's backfiring. Well, that's just like, like, isn't it like just like a concoction of like Bergevin sweat or something? So, uh, well, he was trailing him pretty closely there in Dallas. So, we yeah. and we lost track of him for a couple hours. So, who knows? Oh, we, we definitely did. We definitely did. <laughs> I don't know. After the third tequila, I kind of, kind of, things got hazy. Bad times to have. Yeah. So, um, so this episode is a very, very good one. Uh, it's not because Treg's not here. That, that that goes without saying. But um, this week, 
we have John Liu of TSN joining us. I'm excited. And he's, you know what, John, you know, John Liu is one of the nicest people I've ever, I've ever spoken to. Oh yeah. And he's very, very approachable. He's uh, very friendly on social media and, uh, you know, he's been the face of the Canadians uh, on TSN for, for quite a, quite a long time now. And uh, he always does such a great job. Very professional guy, and it's uh, it's really an honor to have him on the uh, have him on the show for a segment. Yeah, unfortunately, you and Treg were working at the time of uh, the interview, so it was just me and him. Uh, he he wanted to he wanted to have you guys on as well, but he he did mention the next time the three of us are going to do it. You no, know, unfortunately, sometimes you know duty calls, yep. and uh, you know you kind of can't pick your schedule sometimes. So it is what it is. Uh, I'm sure the uh, I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic interview, and I, I personally look forward to hearing it myself. Well, it, uh, in my opinion, it turned out pretty well. Uh, John is, as you mentioned, a true gentleman, and it it was honestly a true pleasure to have him on and to get to speak to him. So uh, we're going to save that for the second segment. Um, in this one, however, uh, you and I are going to talk a little bit about the NHL draft lottery that just happened. As we as we record, it is Friday night, June 26th. The draft lottery has just completed phase one. That is because a placeholder team has won the draft lottery. So, which is absolutely insane. And there yeah. is a lot of pissed off people right now, <laughs> mostly in Ottawa, including including Brian Burke. Apparently, apparently he's <laughs> really busy about this. Yeah, um, which I'm sure we're going to hear all about. Um, I'm going to throw it to you first. Like, what are your thoughts on uh, a placeholder jumping all the way up to number one? See, here's the issue. You're going to have teams, uh, let's say Toronto. Toronto somehow loses to Columbus in that play-in round. Toronto had a heck of a year, and they have one hell of a team. Now... They have a 12.5% chance of getting first overall because they lost this play-in. They would ne- right. they would never have been in the lottery to begin with. Absolutely. That is the issue. That's the one issue I see. Now, it's COVID caused a lot of problems. The, the season shut down, so there's a lot of different little wrinkles that come in. But at the same time, aren't we entertained? Isn't this what what it's about? Absolutely, because there's so much drama now that like this is as I say, this is incredible. Like, this is this is something that I'm not going to say. Yeah, I wanted a placeholder team to win. Obviously, I was kind of rooting for it because now the Canadians have a chance. If they lose to Pittsburgh in the first round, they have an opportunity to jump from hosting the draft, not hosting the draft because of COVID-19. To possibly walking out of this virtual draft with Lafreniere, which is absolutely incredible. It's insane. So the Canadians, it, 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 just to, well. just to uh, to update our our listeners, um, so the Canadians, if they lose the play-in round, will pick ninth. Yes. If they win the placeholder position, they pick first. So you lose against Pittsburgh, you're either picking nine or one. And you're still walking out of that draft with an incredible prospect. Unbelievable. Just just thinking about the uh, the 12.5% opportunity 
for Montreal to pick number one for the first time since they picked Doug Wickenheiser in 1980. Think about that. That that's yeah. been like what about 40 years. <laughs> so before I jump into my uh, my views on this, I'm just going to reiterate to everybody uh, what the final what the top eight is currently. Uh, so at number eight, you got the Buffalo Sabres, and I think that eighth is definitely well-deserved to them. Uh, we talked about this on our last show, especially in how they've treated their uh, their personnel, fired everybody, et cetera. I think eight is well-deserved for the uh, for the Sabres. They didn't deserve to move up. Um, seven, New Jersey. Six, Anaheim. Five, Ottawa, with their own pick. Yeah, they dropped huge so they, on that one. So they dropped huge just on their own pick. Um Four, Detroit. So this shows that you just can't stop playing hockey and expect a top pick. It just doesn't happen that way. Um, number three, with San Jose's pick, Ottawa again. Once again, shows you can't just tank, hope for the best. You know, uh, going into this draft lottery, Ottawa had two and three, and they finished with three and five. Then we've got uh, L.A. Uh, to second. And uh, the placeholder, which could be the Montreal Canadiens. It could very well be, uh, which I'm obviously hoping for, like many of us are. But just imagine if a team like, I'll throw it out, um, Edmonton. What if Edmonton got Lafreniere? Oh. You imagine. Oh like, you know what I mean? Like, Don't they have enough first overalls? Well, but the 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 chance is there. It could yep. it could happen. There's also a, a, an outside chance. Now I saw this on the Athletic. That was uh, down go uh, down goes Brown wrote this. Uh, the New York Rangers, <clears throat> pardon me, could actually win the Stanley Cup, and with a couple of teams like Toronto and Carolina losing in the first round, could end up winning the cup and having first overall. Yeah, they're the only team that can actually do. Yeah, that. could you imagine the insanity? Like, that would be. Like, I think there'd be, well, in some cities, there'd be riots, that's for damn sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's pretty insane. I, 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 I can't see it happening. I don't think the Rangers are that strong of a team um, No, but the, going, into the, going into the playoffs. There's obviously. The fact that it could actually happen, there's an outside chance, it's, it's pretty incredible. But here's the, I know, I know cheering against your team to, to lose seems a little off, but the Canadians don't really have a team built for winning the cup even Molson admits that so they don't because no. we we sold the team prior to prior to the trade deadline yeah they're still a couple of years off so yeah. the chances are and they're very high chances because Pittsburgh is healthy Montreal's going to lose so why not look ahead a little bit and say, you know what, this is going to be a great experience for the young guys, for the Canadians. Hey, you never know, they might actually win it, but chances are they're not. So there's this opportunity to pick first. Well, if they did, would there be a parade? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Wear, wear your masks if there's a parade. Yeah. I, 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 will, I will meet you guys there. No kidding. Wear your masks. Because it's 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 incredible, and after after we uh, after the parade, we're going to McLean's Pub, having some drinks, and we're going to celebrate. One hundred percent. Absolutely. Now McLean's, we uh, we mentioned you a couple of times. I'm not saying sponsor us, but yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Maybe you should. We'll, we'll take it. Yeah. We'll take it. We love you guys. Even if it's just us showing up and you give us free fireball every time we do, we're good with that. I'm, I'm good with that, too. <laughs> it worked out really well the last time. It, it really did. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on... Ottawa and Detroit falling so falling so high out of uh, the top. Well, well, just like falling out of uh, contention for one and two. Now, I'm I'm not cheering for their downfall or anything, but I think you nailed the 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 nail on the head on this one. Teams go out and they actively sell off parts, and they just have they tank. They go out and tank. Now, Buffalo did it trying to get uh, McDavid. It didn't work out. And now we see Ottawa. They're, they did it to try to get Matthews as well. Yeah. But so did the Leafs. They just did it better. Yeah, they won the lottery by one ball against Absolutely. the Canadians. Absolutely. Canadian, Matthews could have been a hab. Um, but yeah, seeing these teams that actively try to lose fall back, it, it reinforces the reason for the lottery. And that is you want your teams to compete until the end, even if they're not that good. Um uh, I mean, I know Ottawa didn't really, they weren't selling a ton of pieces, but they weren't exactly bringing in people to help. Absolutely. You know, the, there's a lot of uh, a lot of AHL talent, a lot of uh, veteran AHL talent, et cetera. Mega youth. They, 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 yeah, they, they have some exciting young prospects coming up. Like I've seen, you know, I live just outside of Belleville, so I see, I see the, uh, the. Uh, the Belleville Sens play every now and then. And they do have an exciting young team, and they do have some guys coming up. However, their product on in the AHL is by far better than what's in the NHL right now. Well, And that's because they're trying to develop their talent. But some of that gets called up to the NHL, and it's clearly not ready. I mean, yes, there's no, ta- the talent's there, but they're not NHL ready. So they're going to lose games, and they don't care which makes sense, you're rebuilding. Um, so seeing a lottery that pushes back some teams sometimes that just, they didn't put in much of an effort. I mean, the Kings, they're they're kind of starting that rebuild after their uh, their Stanley Cup runs. They still have some veteran presence on their, their lineup. Um, seeing them move up to second, uh, I think that's pretty neat. Uh, you, see, you saw how excited... Luke Robitaille was. Um, so they're going to go with number two. My guess is they're going to pick Byfield because they're right across the town from uh, Anaheim and Getzlaff. And I can I see Byfield as being the next Getzlaff, the, the next big two-way power forward center. And they... Yeah. I, I could likely see I could likely see Byfield as well. It wouldn't surprise me if they went with Stutzel though. No, because he can play. He's going to be he's a center or a winger. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, eh, he's more of a winger. They, they do, they, yeah. They do have uh, they do have a little bit of depth at center. However, they're going to come out either way with a with a fantastic player. Well, Cam Robinson, uh, he he wrote up a, a really good reason. He wrote up a really great article in his draft analysis on. Byfield's uh, potential, and you're, you're, when you're drafting, you're drafting for potential, and I think he's go check it out if you haven't read it. Go go check it out. Go read it. Um, he did a really great job. He had Byfield as number one even. So 
he goes by the potential of saying 10 years down the road, Byfield could be the bigger impact player because of the fact that he is a six foot four, two hundred and fifteen pound centerman, and he's seventeen. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, Lafreniere is clearly the best prospect right now. He's NHL ready. He's plug and play. So, he shows up, and let's just imagine that the Canadians do win first overall. He'll walk onto the NH uh, to the Canadians roster, and he'll be a seventy to ninety point player right away. And you never know. I, I doubt it would ever happen. You're not going to pass on a Quebec more oh, God. player no. in a draft that was going to be in Montreal. But uh, this is one of the, another one of those players that are right up there with some of these top players that have been picked in the few years. Don't be surprised if the Canadians did win. I'm not going to say that Bergerman would uh, trade the pick, but just imagine some of these uh, deals that would be coming across the uh, the table. Oh, Ottawa would easily to hand possibly, over to possibly move them. Ottawa would easily hand over three and five and something else. Yeah, three five plus plus plus. Yeah, yeah, but I don't see them trading that. If I don't, I don't either. I don't either. If you can't pass on a, you know what? If Montreal wins, they take Lafreniere. I think this would shut the like you could just say shut the fuck up to all these players all these people over the years that have said we we have to draft from Quebec we have to draft from Quebec. There's your and, star. And this should this should be this should be a uh, this should be like a mulligan like this should be like a, okay you're happy now for the next ten years <laughs> like this is like generational time. Well, they're saying he's the next uh, Le Cavalier, so yeah. it, it if that's the case. Here's a, and is a guy who can give you 70 points every year for the rest of, for the next 10 to 15 years. Well, you just found yourself your your francophone superstar, which is exactly Absolutely. what they wanted. And paste him all over Montreal. Oh, he, I'll be I'll be at the parade. Yeah, exactly. And and if that were to happen, then that opens up a plethora of of opportunities for Bergevin to make trades. So Max Domi, you're gonna you're gonna have other guys. You you bring in a player like this. Yes. Yeah. It's going to attract UFAs. Yes, and there's some issues with the cap being. Uh, they're saying that's going to stay flat for three years at 81.5. So, yep. um, the UFAs would have to sign at reasonable deals, and the Canadians are well positioned to Absolutely. keep what they have and sign a decent UFA to help out. But uh, winning that lottery would mean that the Canadians could make a massive trade to fill a hole on defense. Right away, absolutely, absolutely, and you'd have Lafreniere locked in for three years. Yeah, at an entry level deal. Yeah, exactly. And then you have your center line. Your center line has got uh, now Kotniemi. The news today, uh, as of Friday, the twenty sixth of June, is that from Arpin Basu of the Athletic, he said that uh, Kotniemi is not coming here for treatment. He's coming here for the training camp, and he is ready to play. So according to the doctors. His spleen is uh, is healed and cleared for contact. So that makes a big difference uh, for the Canadians in the playoffs. And it's also a huge, huge bonus for Kotniemi, who, uh, win or lose, uh, if, he may, if he's healthy to play, he will play. And he's going to gain a massive experience. Because these play-ins, I know they're not call, uh, people aren't considering it the playoffs, but it's a best-of-five series against the Pittsburgh Penguins. That is the playoffs. So that gives you the win or die 
aspect of the playoffs. So it's a great experience for him, for Suzuki. And there's your one, too, at, at center. You add Lafreniere with one of them. Oh, my God. Yeah. And you've got guys coming down the pipeline and, you know, Cole Caulfield, et cetera. Exactly. The Canadians aren't and, hurting for and good you, prospects. And, get, and, yet we, and we've, we've talked about them possibly winning number one. But remember, if they do pick number one, they got 13 picks after that. That's right, which they could use to trade up into the first round. Just trade them all, go into the mid, be done. So, so I'll just I'll just throw this out here to you. Um, give or take, our our order when we talked about the draft, we had Lafreniere going one, either Byfield or Stutzel at two or three. Then we had probably. Drysdale at four, and we've talked about this before, between five and eight, a mixture of Raymond, Rosie, Perfetti, and Holtz, okay? So if they were to pick ninth, who would be a couple of the guys that you would look at? I don't I don't need to know why, but just a couple of guys that you would possibly think for number nine that you would uh, you'd be happy with. Well, I know there's rumors about uh, Askarov being uh, the guy for Bergevin. I can't see it. I mean, I know that when they picked Price, they already had goaltending, but they have Primo. You know, yeah. I just can't yeah. see and it. And he's demonstrated that he can he can step up. Yeah. So there's a couple of people. I'm thinking along the lines of a, a Quinn. A Quinn would be there. Uh, and I know that Timmons knows who he is. He's they live on the same street in, Ottawa, in the Ottawa region. Um, they have been to many many games to watch Rossi play, so they would have seen Quinn. Um, Jake Sanderson is another one, a left-handed defenseman out of the U.S. He's uh, he's rated as a top two-way defenseman in the draft. He'd be an excellent fit for the Canadians long term. Um, I mean. I know Lundell is rated high, but I think he's going to slide. Another name other than uh, Sanderson and uh, Quinn would probably ah, it's tough to say, but maybe maybe a Caden Gould or a Connor Zary, maybe. Yeah, but potentially, yeah. potentially for me, I'm looking at the first two guys he named. Yeah, I'm looking at Quinn for another high-end goal scorer. Um, you're looking at Quinn and Holtz. Probably one, two for the best goal scorer. Yeah. If you have, say, Sanderson does move up or Askarov moves up into the top eight, one of these guys is going to get bumped out. So there's still an opportunity that you might see the Canadians pick somebody like a Rossi or a Perfetti or a Holtz at ninth overall if they if they don't walk away from the draft with uh, Lepernier at one. Yeah, which would be the dream scenario for uh, any Habs fan. But, um, Absolutely. So even at one, even at nine, what we're saying is the Montreal Canadiens are going to come out with a very good prospect. Oh, yeah. And I've, uh, I've written about Quinn uh, for the hockey writers as a target for the Canadians around those picks. They can't go wrong with that kid. That, that kid is a – he goes to the dirty areas to score his goals. And he scores them in different ways. It's not just a, a laser beam slap shot or a quick wrister or a screen shot. He he does tips. He he does everything you need to do to score in the slot. And he goes into the corners. 
He fights for the puck. He goes to the front of the net. And he's got decent size, and he's going to add some weight to that frame. So in a couple years' time, you're looking at someone who has a 30 to 40 goal potential, who plays that dirty, gritty style that the Canadians desperately need. And he's a good skater, so he can keep yeah, up. And, you, and then, you know, I brought him up. I brought up Cole, Cole Caulfield. This isn't a guy that plays in the dirty areas as much, but he doesn't need to. He just knows where to go on the ice. Yeah, he's got that so innate imagine, ability. So imagine a power play down the road with somebody like a Quinn or a Holtz who both battle for pucks and go to the dirty areas and compete for the puck. And then a guy like Caulfield who doesn't let his size get in his way and just knows where to be on the ice and his hockey sense is saying, if I go here, the puck's going to find me. And, and you look at guys like Suzuki that knows how to get the puck to somebody and can do so very effectively. Kanyemi also, a, he's an excellent yeah, playmaker. Kanyemi, and you're looking at a you know a new and improved power play down the road. And an actual top six that is a legit top six. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, the Canadians are going to add by far some very good talent at this draft. We've we've already said it. 14 draft picks. I can't see them using them all, but that'll be a, that'll be a discussion for another time. I, I feel that uh, I feel that they're they're likely not going to use all fourteen. They're probably going to try to flip flip for a seventh and try to, you know, <laughs> it is, like yeah. what they have been doing recently. It's tradition. But it's tradition, exactly. But they've been pretty uh, successful. You know, getting primo to the seventh round is no small feat, that's for sure. Exactly, and they've got those three second round picks. You're you're almost guaranteed for them to to maybe flip one of those and use one for, uh, you know, if they don't get number one and get Lafreniere, for for instance, they could use it to get a William Dufour or a Jérémy Poirier to get their, their francophone player in the draft who are both, both those players are ranked around where the Canadians are picking. So yes. they could trade off one or two of those picks, still satisfy someone else, you know, that, that political aspect of it with a decent prospect and still trade for pieces that could help the team. Yeah, that could help them right now. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be exciting time. It's very unfortunate that uh, I think it's going to piss me off even more because you think about it, like we're recording. The two of us should be in Montreal right now with Trey. We would have been, yes. Uh, yeah, we would be in Montreal right now at the Bell Center with all the fans at the draft. Yep, and uh, you know it's something that we that we love to do, and we love to share experiences with with everyone that, that listens to the show. So I think it'll. I'm obviously going to be ecstatic if they come out with number one, but uh, knowing that I could have possibly seen it live in Montreal is going to be a, you know a little bit of salt in the wound, but I'll get over it pretty quick if they walk away with Lafreniere. Yeah, and I'll just go to the one next year, wherever it's held. It's either Seattle or in Montreal, so one or the other. Yeah. I'll go. Yeah. I've never been to I've never been to Seattle, so It's a great city. I will uh yeah, so I would I I would be happy to go there and uh for all you Grey's Anatomy fans, you know, yay, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, no. I, I had to say that because, you know, I know your wife's in the medical profession. 
not because I watch Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, she turns that shit off. Uh, shit on, I walk out. I'm done. No, but um, yeah, we would have. It would have been nice to be in Montreal right now. We would. Tradition is by this point. By this point in the evening, the draft is over, and we would be at a bar talking about it. So. Yeah, and and every time we and every time we've been to a draft, like um, Blaine and I met in Florida in 2015, and uh, never met before. Both found out we were in the military. You know, we uh, we hung out with your brother. Yeah. We uh, you know we had a we had a fantastic time. We uh, we got to down to Miami and saw saw a ball game down there. Ate some delicious food, and and we had a we had a fantastic time. And it just became a tradition, and you know it's developed into a into a very good friendship. Then I you know you've known Treg a lot longer than me. Obviously, I didn't meet Treg until Dallas in 2018. And that was another great time. You know, we met Gila Point, et cetera. Like the uh, to all of our listeners out there, if you ever have the opportunity to go to a draft, and I don't care if you're a Canadians fan, I don't care if you're a Devils fan, I don't care if you're a Flames fan. If you're listening to this show, if you have the opportunity to go to a draft, do not pass it up. You're going to make memories, and you're going to make friends, and you're going to be a part of. You know, you're going to be a part of something big in NHL history. You know, I've had the opportunity to see Connor McDavid get drafted. I've seen Austin Matthews get drafted. And the fact that you can see these players, you can talk to these players if you're lucky. Usually you can't. They're very approachable. GMs, coaches, players, ex-players, etc. It is just an incredible experience. And it's like a hockey fan's it's it's a, it's really a hockey fan's dream. And I know some of you might be thinking it's like, well, you're sitting in the stands and it's like, okay, at pick two hundred and nine, this guy selects this player from, you know, Durka Durkistan. <laughs> oh god. Yeah. You know, yeah, there is that aspect of it. But it doesn't mean you need to sit on your ass and listen to every pick. You can be around there. And you can talk to people like we have. We've met great people, like we've met Bob McKenzie. We've met, um, we've met uh, Claude Lemieux. We've met. Uh, I met Sean Sean Couturier. Like I've met so many great people. Yeah, I think over the years. I think Claude Lemieux has a uh, a restraining order on Treg because Treg was waiting for him outside the men's washroom. <laughs> I think he was. Too. It was hilarious. Um, also, also. Um, Treg met uh, Romanov. He did. He right stopped right him from after, having his right lunch. After he got drafted. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so like, I'm just going to reiterate that, guys. Anyone that's listened to this show, if you ever have the opportunity, do it. It's uh, it's an amazing time. You're gonna you're gonna walk into there extremely happy, and uh, you never know. You're gonna you might depending on where the where it's held, you're gonna be in a in a great city. You're gonna eat some good food. You're going to make some friends. You're going to have some laughs. If you're in Montreal, you're going to McLean's Pub. And uh, yeah, just going to throw that in there. <laughs> Fireball. And, uh, and you're going to and you're going to have an incredible time. Yeah, and for those uh, still holding on and listening to us at this point, um, before we move on to the commercials and bringing in John Liu, um if the playoffs do not happen it, or 
the plans and and they're, they don't have all eight teams, they're going to go by point percentage. So the Canadians are still going to fall into ninth place, and they're still going to have the placeholder phase two draft, and it just goes by point percentage at that point. So. You know, there's there is contingency plans in place. Uh, they're they're convoluted. They're hard to follow. Um, I know that people have been asking me questions on Twitter. I've been doing my best to try and answer them uh, as quickly as I can. Uh, keep uh, keep that up. If you have questions, ask us. So um, on that note, I'm going to end our segment here. Um, listen to what Matt said. He has a very a, a good point. The draft is hella fun. So we'll take a commercial break. And on the other side of that, we're going to be joined by TSN's John Liu. Are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford? There is a no-frills, no-nonsense company that wants to provide that to you. No Name Hockey. No Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro but could never find the right one or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high-quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro-stock quality stick that you can afford. The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No Name Hockey makes sticks for the no-names and players currently making a name. And welcome back to Habs Unfiltered. Uh, We are joined now by a special guest, John Liu of TSN. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks for having me on, Blaine. It's a pleasure to finally get to uh, meet you, so to speak. Voice only, but uh, yeah, eventually, uh, maybe on the East Coast sometime. You never know. Maybe someday, uh, once all this is over, we'll uh, we'll see each other in Montreal. Well, that would be all right. You know where to find me. <laughs> that's uh, that's usually where I go to as soon as I head into town. So, okay. um, so we may as well just dive right in. Uh, this is. The season hasn't started yet, so we'll just uh, we'll cover a few points. But the first thing I want to do is uh, my listeners may not realize that you are a journalism grad from Red River College and have covered multiple sports. Uh, my question is, why did you choose sports broadcasting as your profession? Oh, gosh. Well, that's a real long story. I'll try to make it as short as possible, though, Wayne. Uh, but, uh, I graduated from university in the late 80s with a degree in economics and psychology. I uh, started uh, a career in insurance and banking, did that for 11 years, but uh, about halfway through decided that I wasn't really all that committed to it for the long term, and so I decided to um, go back to school. Um, I wanted to study something that uh, would be more personally satisfying, uh, because while I worked for the bank, I, uh, I in some of my a couple of my remote assignments, I, uh, I took up uh, amateur theater to try to kill the time, and enjoy myself uh, in small communities and so that sort of opened my eyes to the fact that, like yeah you know what I really enjoy uh, performing and uh, so I thought, well how do I find a straight job uh, that combines uh, the performance aspect of things and so I thought okay well uh, television journalism sounds like the way to go um, but uh, to be honest with you actually I, I focused my energies on news when I uh, 
applied to go back to school, Red River College in my hometown of Winnipeg, as I mentioned. And uh, so uh, just simply because from my perception, uh, perception at that time, there are more opportunities in the news side. Uh, but having said that, I've been a sports fan my whole life, played multiple sports when I was, since I was a kid. And uh, so, uh, yeah, there's certain sports that really are my passions that's, uh, that would have been kind of a, a dream job, but I wasn't really thinking about it at the time. But went back to school, quit the bank, went back to school, and um, uh, had an outstanding academic experience uh, in college, uh, studying journalism. And in my second year um, uh, of a two-year program, I uh, when, when we started doing work placements, um, I applied for an internship at TSN. More on a whim, really, because, uh, again, I was focusing my efforts on the news side, and I did internships with CBC, Ra- or CBC Radio in Winnipeg, uh, CBC Television, CTV Winnipeg uh, in the news division, and uh, so um, and I interned actually uh, for CBC Sports in the summer of 1999 at the Pan Am Games at the baseball venue, which was an awesome experience. Uh, so that was my first uh, uh, first time I, I actually did something in the sports field, working in a production truck. And uh, so all those experiences led to um, opportunities in my second year, um, and uh, I actually got hired by CTV Winnipeg to do part-time news reporting uh, while I was still going to school. But prior to that, I had applied for and was awarded an internship at TSN, which uh, uh, my employers at CTV uh, were very gracious in allowing me to, to, continue, uh, to, to go forward to do the internship. So I went to Toronto in uh, January of 2000 and uh, did my internship. Uh, at the end of it, at the end of my three weeks, I left a demo tape with uh, with our coordinating producer in the newsroom. He passed it up the food chain. The right people watched it, liked it, um, interviewed me, sent me out for an audition. And in the space of 48 hours, I got hired at TSN. Um, and that was a little over 20 years ago. And uh, so it's been really a whirlwind considering I've been doing this for over two decades now. But, uh, yeah, when you talk about the uh, the amount of sports that I covered, I lived in Toronto for seven and a half years, and so I got a, a little bit of a taste of everything, which was really the, the best training, ga- training ground, uh, the best experience I could have asked for because uh, being in that market with the expectations and the scrutiny, um, you know, there was nowhere to hide. I essentially grew up on air. I uh, made a lot of mistakes, but learned a heck of a lot. And so, uh, for over the for almost 13 years now, I've been stationed in Montreal uh, on the uh, on the Montreal on the Canadians and Alouettes beat, and uh, uh, thoroughly enjoying it. Um, so that's that's the story, shortened version. <laughs> some of it uh, some of it was luck and timing, but uh, but it was uh, uh, you know being focused on a specific goal. Um, to, to change my profession and do something that I would find personally more gratifying, um, it uh, it worked out in the best way possible. And so, uh, yeah, every day I'm grateful for the uh, for the opportunity I was given over 20 years ago. And uh, people may not realize you still have uh, pretty good hands too. There was a uh, a highlight of you uh, making a sideline catch at a, an Alouettes game. <laughs> yeah, that was almost a year ago now. Um, and actually, I never played football. Just Touch football, flag football, casually. That's actually my baseball genes, if you want to call it that. I'm a, um, yeah. Um, uh, Vernon Adams was concussed, 
and he was uh, on the sidelines at halftime playing catch with fans in the stand and uh, in the stands. And I was standing outside the uh, Alouette's locker room waiting for Kahari Jones to come out so I could do his uh, uh, an interview with him, um, halftime interview. And the fan was, I thought he was throwing the ball back to Vernon. Maybe he purposely overthrew it toward me, and so it was going over my head. I had the microphone on my left hand, and so I reached up with my right hand, and actually I'm a southpaw. Um, right, right hand is my catching hand. So I reached up for the ball, and you know, just kind of reflexively, and, um, and one-handed it. Um, like, just caught it on the nose. And uh, so the fans loved that. Vernon, about 20 feet from me, uh, couldn't believe his eyes. And so uh, it was a moment. And uh, my cameraman, who was with me, uh, actually caught the before and the after. He didn't follow the ball into my hand because he was focusing on Vernon. So he caught Vernon's reaction on camera. And so um, our, our, because that all gets recorded uh, on our backhaul, in the production truck, they rolled that into the broadcast after the uh, after the, the, the halftime interview. So, yeah, that moment kind of uh, lives in infamy, but uh, it was fun. Um, yeah, and uh, something I'll uh, <laughs> look back with amusement and fondness uh, for the uh, once my career is long over. Well, they did uh, they did score you a five yard catch, so it's nothing to sneeze at. No, see that that that, that was incorrect because from where the, the the fan threw that ball from probably a, I want to say maybe a dozen rows up into the stands. Um, so however far that is, and then spanning probably um, at least a good six or seven yards from the sideline wall to where I was standing, just off the edge of the playing field. So that was probably about a had to have been, I'd say, a 15-yard completion. Oh, they, they shorted it was, you. It was, yeah, it was all air, though. It was, it was all throw. There was no, there were no yak yards. It was just a catch, <laughs> a spike. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably spike the ball too if I caught something like that. <laughs> well, yeah. Hey, you know what? If, 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 if that was a touchdown, that would be the natural reaction, right? Exactly. Um, but uh, so, but we're a hockey uh, a hockey podcast. We're, we'll switch gears over to uh, the Canadians. And um, now, recently in the news, there's been a lot of talk about the hockey coming back, but nothing's guaranteed yet. And even Carey Price is being pragmatic about the return, saying he wanted to compete. That he has to make a decision based on his family. And what's the level of concern that you've heard from the players about this return? Um, it varies from player to player, uh, but Price was probably, uh, I think, the most, um, I, I'd say that he probably expressed the most hesitation out of any of the Canadians players that we've spoken to on our conference calls going back over the last two months, uh, when he said that he was 50-50 in terms of his optimism about whether they will return to play, um, on the pessimistic side, it's just that he feels that there's so many unanswered questions uh, with with respect to the logistics, dotting the I's, crossing the T's, that's part of the return to play protocol that the league probably can't answer yet because everybody is waiting for the virus to move from stage to stage. It's a novel virus, and so we're learning new things about it every day. 
Uh, there just isn't enough of a sample size to say with any certainty that, well, we can predict this is going to happen on this timeline. Um, and so uh, price rightfully has concerns and questions and, and naturally some hesitation stemming from that. Um, and uh, he said that, you know, as much as he would like to compete for a Stanley Cup, he wants to be sure that his quality of life isn't affected in the long term. And that's um, the family man side of Price that we see in that instance. Uh, that his uh, eldest daughter, I believe, uh, she's three years old now, and fatherhood really wears well on Price. You know, when you see him interacting with his kids, that uh, I always figured Kerry would be a good dad because uh, he just has this very uh, uh, caring and gentle soul about him. Um, and uh, so I figured that he would... Uh, he would be a very good father, and uh, he's proving that, and uh, especially with, uh, uh, his concerns about um, his family potentially being in a hub city with him while the Canadians are playing. But he used the qualifier if they play. And Mark Bergevin did when he spoke to us of over a month ago, too. Uh, these guys realized that, there's, um, that there is nothing carved in stone. There's nothing certain. And when you see that the Tampa Bay Lightning shut down their practice facility, uh, uh, Two weeks ago, uh, and then Austin Matthews came out as, as positive, uh, testing positive with the virus. You know, the NHL has joined the NBA and Major League Baseball and the PGA Tour in terms of players that are that are coming down with the virus, and that's not surprising, uh, especially depending on what jurisdiction you're in. It's like you're talking about the Lightning, Florida, one of the more hardest hit jurisdictions in the world, and Austin Matthews being in Arizona. There you go. So, um, yeah, Price uh, said that he would probably leave his family in Washington State with his in-laws while he and the Canadians would uh, centralize in whatever hub city uh, they, they happen to play in. Um, at this point, I'm only guessing, but if Vegas, in fact, does become one of the hub cities, chances are the Canadians would be stationed there because the Eastern Conference would be likely in the west side. Um, and uh, once we find out who the other hub city is, if it's in the east, then it would be pretty much a given that the Western Conference would be stationed there. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we're just waiting to see if it'll be Toronto, Edmonton, Chicago, or L.A. Um, but, uh, again, you know what? That's uh, part of the, uh, the uncertainty and the day-to-day that we've become accustomed to over the last three months because... Nobody, we, we're all working on the virus's schedule. We have no control over uh, the equation ourselves. Yeah, that's that's the sad the sad math to this whole thing. Um, now, assuming there there is going to be hockey, which which cities do you feel would make good hub cities for hockey? Well, um, Vegas. Uh, Provided they can isolate the, uh, the 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 teams in that in that the, the, the immediate area around the arena, uh, I was I covered the Cup final two years ago, and so I got a good look at how it's laid out. Uh, directly east of the Vegas uh, the Vegas home the Vegas Knights home home barn, there's a big Resort. I forget what it's called. I think it's New York, New York. But basically, it's the resort that that has the uh, the mock-up of the New York skyline on it, and it's it's basically a block and a half away from the arena. So I think that if 
the NHL were to secure that entire resort, provided they have spaces, they actually could have barricades on the blocks surrounding the, the resort. Players could walk to the arena. Mind you, though, in Vegas heat in August, which would probably be about 45 Celsius, they'd probably want to take an air-conditioned shuttle uh, or a bus, <laughs> even to go yeah. two blocks. Um, but having said that, uh, if it was a self-contained little community like that, then I think that they probably could uh, create the bubble that they wish to do in order to make sure that nobody gets in that shouldn't be getting in, okay? Um, so in that regard, and you know what? Hey, obviously Vegas is popular with all the players, and the fact is that every resort has a casino. So players, and if their families are there, although I suspect their families would not be in the same resort with them um, if they were allowed there at all. Uh, but again, there's the uncertainty. We're only speculating at this point. But uh, having said that, it's uh, a self-contained resort, provided it had enough space for 15 teams and their staff members, would be um, a practical um, and uh, logistically well-suited environment for the NHL to set up shop. Um, as far as the other hub city is concerned, uh, it sounds like Edmonton with um, with the with the with the downtown setup they have with the practice facility next to the arena, uh, hotels that are in the blocks immediately surrounding the arena, one that is actually attached to the arena. Uh, it seems like they could, the league could probably create, again, a self-contained bubble in that radius, however blocks, however many blocks it spans in downtown Edmonton. Um, but Toronto, I think, Toronto would be a little bit more spread out, I would imagine, but there's there's more hotels. Uh, the, the, um, the exhibition grounds are... Uh, the exhibition grounds are west of the uh, Scotiabank place, uh, apparently has become part of the uh, Toronto uh, Toronto Group's bid. Not sure what they would use that facility for, whether it would be kind of like a... Uh, I don't think it would be for accommodations. It might be... Uh, uh, the CNE is held there, and uh, so I think they might have, um, I guess, programs and amusement for... Um, for players, for their families, um, and locking down that particular facility so that the general public doesn't get in there. So uh, it's, it, they would have to use buses or shuttle service because it's certainly not within walking distance from hotels immediately situated around uh, Scotiabank Place. Um, so I think it's sort of a toss-up between Toronto and Edmonton because it really feels like the league wants very much to have um, a Canadian city as one of the visits second hub, and we know now that Vancouver is not going to be the, in the mix because of public health concerns, uh, uh, as expressed by their, uh, by their, their, their uh, government officials. So, um, yeah, I flip a coin, to be honest with you, Toronto, Edmonton, um, although having said that, I, I'm pretty sure Edmonton's COVID cases are rising. I don't believe it's as bad as Ontario or Quebec individually, but uh, still, that's a concern, you know, that's... Uh, uh, I don't know if you can completely uh, create an airtight bubble simply because, yeah, you know what, maybe the um, players and staff uh, are being tested regularly, but what about the support workers, um, people in the service industry that work at the resorts, work at the hotels, deliver the food, 
clean the rooms, that sort of thing, you know, unless they're being tested with the same frequency and the same uh, speed, which players and, and uh, team officials are being tested at, well, you're running the risk of that random element uh, being introduced into that bubble community. And so I don't think that there's any way they can really be 100% certain that there would be zero exposure. But, um, again, that's uh, something that uh, the, the league will uh, lay out in its protocol and I'm sure is speaking very closely with the cities that are bidding for the, uh, the, for the rights to be hub cities. Well, um, speaking from experience as a military member who went through the quarantine before deploying, um, <clears throat> what they did with us was we were quarantined in a hotel for several weeks before we, we deployed, and the service personnel in the hotel never came in contact with us. We were we were always kept separate uh, when they dropped off food or drink. Uh, it'd be it would be in a, a sealed container. Uh, that container, the outside would be wiped down as the staff left it, and then they would they would knock. You'd have to wait about 30 seconds, then you can open your door and take in whatever you ordered. So again, it, it's it's another step, but you're right. There's no way to completely eliminate uh, the chance of exposure. Yeah, and as we as we know, this this virus is so contagious, uh, unlike a common cold or the flu. That uh, it's extremely contagious. That uh, the uh, transmission is very rapid and uh, very efficient, and so it wouldn't take much for an outbreak to spread like wildfire through uh, through the ranks of uh, of uh, a community. Let's call it that of uh, of individuals who are participating in an activity that, by nature, uh, precludes social distancing. <laughs> right? It's a contact sport. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's, um, yeah, you hope for the best, but there's just so many, uh, I really think, random factors uh, that could come into play that it could slip through the cracks and, uh, and, uh, and disrupt things. I mean, look at the PGA Tour, that they've had three positive tests in the last couple of days. And uh, so, I mean, chances are that came from community spread, but they are likely taking very high precautions. And golf in and of itself does lend itself to social distancing, yet you still have players, caddies, that have tested positive. So, um, yeah, when you, uh, when you have a situation like that, then, you know, football, basketball, hockey, where guys are breathing on each other, sweating around each other, you know, locker rooms too. Forget about what your contact will be with your opponents. You know, guys sitting on the bench with hockey, Guys are sitting on the bench right beside each other, shoulder to shoulder, in the dressing rooms. You know, how do you how do you um, create a, a, a transmission-free environment in the dressing room? You know, this is, but you know what? That's going to become a concern with training camp. We talk about July 10th when Phase Three is tentatively going to start. That, if anything, is where you're going to see uh, spread within dressing rooms. I don't know how teams can completely uh, eliminate that possibility simply because once all the players are in town in their home markets, but they're likely going to be going out into the communities to do grocery shopping, maybe going out with their families. Uh, you know, they, they could be exposed to community spread. And uh, once that happens, it could get passed on in the dressing room. Although, having said that, 
the protocol for the current phase two with them taking temperatures in the morning, getting tested when they're at the uh, the rinks, you know, that the uh, results come back quite quickly. Um, you got to hope that that will mitigate the uh, the likelihood of transmission happening within a confined space like a dressing room. Yeah, and this is where that bubble community uh, comes into effect, where they they essentially quarantine a gigantic group, and that way they can it, it still doesn't guarantee anything, but it does minimize that uh, that chance of spread. <clears throat> now, um, keeping in mind that the players have not all decided whether or not they're going to come in or doctors uh, may not allow some for instance uh Claude Julian mentioned that he may not uh, he may not arrive to, uh Max Domi due to his diabetes may not be able to play um ignoring those issues imagining that everyone's still there and healthy uh, what are your feelings on the Canadians chances of even winning that play in against the uh powerhouse Pittsburgh Penguins yeah well uh I think that they would have to absolutely play a perfect series. You know, um, five on five, they were a decent team. Um, good possession numbers, but not very good finish. So if, for instance, they were missing Max Domi, that's one of their key offensive players, even though he had a sort of up-and-down season. Terry uh, Price would have to be absolutely on top of his game. Uh, and he said yesterday on his conference call that you know what, he's – He's rested. He's uh, he's healthy. He's rested. Sounds like he's feeling very good about physically uh, his physical state. Uh, the only thing, though, that might be a little bit of a concern is that being out in Washington State, he's only been able to skate on uh, on the facility to which he has access. He hasn't had any shooters firing pucks at him, so um, that's a little bit of a uh, a drawback. But having said that, once Everybody gets to training camp. You know that it's going to be at least three weeks, and so that's where they're going to their home. That's where he would hone it uh, and get back into uh, into the flow. But having said that, you know, on paper, Canadians really don't stack up um, very uh, equitably against the uh, uh, against the Penguins, especially when you talk about um, top six up the middle with Crosby and Malkin, um, and uh, defensively. Uh, if you want to talk about number one defenseman, Weber and Latang are such different types of players uh, that it's hard to draw comparisons. There are more contrasts than there are comparisons there. So uh, I think that uh, on paper, Penguins probably look a little bit better than the Canadians. They certainly have championship pedigree, at least the core of that team. They might get Jake Getzel back. Getzel back. Um, so, again, the Canadians would have to play an absolutely perfect series. They would have to be... Uh, superior five-on-five, I think, because uh, if you get into a special teams battle, as we saw, the Canadians had had an up-and-down season with their special teams, too. They started off better on the power play, but it started to slip. They started off very bad on the penalty kill, then it improved. So um, they were a very um, inconsistent uh, and, to some degree, unpredictable team. And So, uh, uh, to be honest with you, I don't, uh, don't believe there's a high probability that they would win this series in order for them to do so everything would have to go right their way and no injuries too because we saw what happened their depth was exposed when they started getting injuries to keep players in the middle of november and uh, so um, yeah it's uh, uh 
yeah. the type of the type of series that's um, I think that's David and Goliath, but I think in this case here Goliath does still have to be considered a, a somewhat uh, significant uh, significant favorite. That is uh, that was my thought as well. I was, I'm, I do believe the Canadians can be close in each game. However, I don't expect them to uh, to win that series at all. I maybe maybe go to four games if if they're lucky. That that was my my thought on that. But um you, you mentioned illness and injury. Um and, and you mentioned earlier a certain players such as Matthews who was announced as being um positive for COVID. Um then so, there was a bit of an uproar about personal medical information. People were a little upset that that was released. However, Jokovic, his medical information was released. Um, do you see a difference between the two, or <clears throat> where is the line on transparency? Yeah, well, it's um, the 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 issue with Matthews, with Steve Simmons reporting that, is that from wherever Steve Simmons got his information, um, he reported. He reported news, so in and of itself, he did not uh, he did not break a law. There was no law protecting um, Austin Matthews' privacy in that regard. Uh, so, from an ethics standpoint, um, Steve Simmons didn't do anything wrong. Um, if a medical professional gave him the information, well, then that's a breach of a patient's personal privacy. And uh, but hey, you know what? have no idea where Steve got the information, but that was strong reporting on his part to to have gotten it. Uh, from uh, you know, from from the standpoint of um, of what's permissible, um, I would say that most media outlets, including PSN, are taking the tack that uh, unless the information comes directly from the athlete himself, the team, the organization. Uh, an official spokes spokesman, uh, and they're not they're not naming names. Media outlets are not naming names. They're respecting the privacy of that individual, um, and uh, we've already seen that with the Ottawa Senators. I believe the San Jose Sharks, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, um, teams that 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 disclosed that they had small outbreaks of. The coronavirus in their in their uh, in their rosters, but you haven't seen anybody, any reporters or any media outlets going around trying to dig up who those individuals are or reporting who they are. So it seems that the media at large um, is respecting um, the the privacy and the boundaries of uh, individuals as uh, as as this information is being released by the. Um, by the uh, the entities themselves, whether it's the player or the organization, um, so it really sort of it, it, what what the Austin Matthews experience um, entails is a very interesting journalistic um, case study, and I know that Steve Simmons caught a lot of flack for it. Um, I think partially because of the market, the team, and the, the the profile of the player. You know, you're talking about a major star in the league and in one of the biggest markets in the NHL. So um, the backlash against him was, I, I think that 
from what I gather, there was more negative back, there was more negative reaction than there was approval. But as a reporter, I can I can tell you that Steve Simmons didn't do anything wrong. Um, so it, from a journalistic uh, standpoint, and so it really depends on how you want to view it from from an objective standpoint, or like just pragmatic uh, analyzing it pragmatically. Um, so I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, to be honest with you, Blaine. It's kind of a long-winded way of, uh, of, uh, of, of addressing it. But, um, but yeah, it's, um, I thought that something like this might happen because the law of average would, would say that there would have been a big name, a big star that's, um, that would have come down with the virus. And now we've seen what happens. But I think uniformly you're going to see that organizations – are not going to release the names of players, and, uh, and that's certainly their prerogative. And the media, for the most part, for a large part, are uh, are adhering to that. Yeah, my expectation was something like that was going to happen. And with everybody, well, fan fan bases demanding transparency with uh, with reporting on player health, I fully expected some kind of report on an injury or an illness, and then some backlash, especially in the COVID age. Um, I, I I agree. I don't think uh, Steve did anything wrong. Uh, he did a great job, but again, you mentioned the the market, and that's just the way it is. Sometimes, he, as good of a job as you do, sometimes it doesn't matter. Yeah, imagine if um, one of my colleagues reported that Terry uh, Price contracted the coronavirus. Right, you would have gotten the same sort of reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it would have created the same sort of stir because you're talking about an individual who is the highest profile on his team, the biggest star on his team. And so, uh, you know, people that's, that's uh, you know, fans of the team, they would protect, uh, they would want to protect the individual. And I get that. I understand that. Steve took a big chance by reporting what he did. But, you know, and, and we saw the reaction, which was fairly predictable. But, um, yeah, again, from my standpoint, from a journalistic, journalistic ethics standpoint, I don't, he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and I appreciate your your honesty in the answer. Um, we, it was pretty pretty in depth stuff, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you something a little lighter <laughs> to to go to, um, something a little bit more fun. Uh, they announced the Hall of Fame members, and there was some controversy, as always, as it is in the hockey world, when they name someone in the Hall of Fame. Um, they're all deserving; they're all in. Uh, but was there is there one player you feel should also be added to that uh, that class. If you had the choice to pick just one and add them to the personnel that are there now, is there one player you'd pick? Um, well, of the names that were being uh, bandied about and who was uh, eligible on first, for first ballot, uh, uh, Daniel Alfredson was hmm. uh, somebody that I would have liked to have seen uh, go in. Um, his, uh, his numbers speak for themselves, as for themselves. Um, Longevity of his career, um, his international success—that um, uh, that was a, he was a player. That's granted, uh, they, they, you know, he didn't enjoy uh, significant team success in the NHL, but that's not his fault, right? Um, but for what he did for the Ottawa Senators for an exceptionally long career um, and the numbers that he put up, I'd say that he was Hall of Fame worthy. Um, but um, I might be a little bit biased, though, because Daniel Alfredson is one of the finest gentlemen I've ever met in professional sports, too. 
And I know that's not a criterion for admission to any Hall of Fame uh, because there's some real bad actors that are in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And I'm sure that if you dug into the past of anybody, uh, well, individuals within the Hockey Hall of Fame or um, in Canton, Ohio with with professional football, um, you'd find some pretty unsavory things about people. Um, So uh, the character clause, I think for the most part it is uh, a, a deciding factor in a lot of cases, unless the individual is uh, particularly um, um, controversial, let's put it that way. But um, yeah, having said that, you know, Daniel Alfredson, you can't say too. I, I don't think you could find somebody who would say could say a bad thing about Daniel Alfredson as far as um, the type of person that he is, and just a tremendous player. Um, that uh, I believe that's. Yeah, numbers-wise, was Hall of Fame worthy. So uh, ideally, he'll get his opportunity, if not next year, within uh, within the next uh, the next few years. Yeah, that, he would have been my choice as well. Uh, watching him play all those years, even though he played for the Senators, <laughs> it was it was hard not to admire him. Yeah, I'll tell you a little story about Daniel Alfredson. Um, uh, the 2005 lockout that destroyed the. Uh, the entire season. Um, the lockout ended, I forget, it was in June, if I remember correctly, but uh, it was the Weston Harbor Castle in Toronto, downtown Toronto, just south of what was the Air Canada Centre at the time, was one of the principal locations where the league and the PA were uh, holding meetings. And uh, they came to their final agreements at that hotel, and uh, the lockout ended. So, uh, my former colleague Sherry, Sherry Ford and I, along with our producer, were in the, the hotel lobby bar after the press conference was done and we'd finished our work, uh, just having a drink to toast the end of the lockout, one of the longest and worst years of any of our careers. And uh, Daniel Alfredson just happened to be walking by, came in, saw us, sat down, and ordered us around and just started shooting the breeze, well, just expressing his gratitude or his relief that the, the lockout was over, just, you know, um, struck up a conversation with us. Like, we didn't invite him over. He just came over and sat with us. You know, like, there aren't too many guys, I think, that would do that in professional sports. Uh, but Alfie did. And uh, so that's probably my favorite moments, um, my favorite Daniel Alfredson moments. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he so much for charity for the city of Ottawa as well. I'm sure that he could run and for mayor and, and win, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's just, uh, he's just a real top tour kind of guy. And so, uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully he gets the call to the home. Well, John, I appreciate your time. Uh, you gave me more than what I was, what I would even hope for. Um, I'm going to pass on. Uh, my apologies from my co-hosts, Matt and Treg. They wanted to be here. However, work commitments uh, kept them off. So uh, from all three of us, I'd like to thank you for coming on and uh, give you an opportunity. Is there anything that you would like to to plug or, or pass on to our listeners? Uh, no, just uh, everybody stay safe. Wear a mask in, inside and keep your six-foot distance. Look after the people that are important to you, the ones that you love, the ones that you work with. 
the ones that you play pickup hockey with, remember that masks are you protecting them, just in case you don't know. So that's all I'd like to say because that's the most, uh, that's the biggest priority in all of our respective lives right now is dealing with uh, what's in front of us, what we're in and what's in front of us so that we can try to get back to uh, whatever new normal will look like, hopefully sooner rather than later. Well, John, as a uh, husband of a frontline medical worker, I want to thank you for that. And uh, again, thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. Anytime. It was a lot of fun, Blaine, and look forward to being on here again with, uh, with your whole crew. And that concludes another episode of Habs Unfiltered. We would like to thank all our listeners, old and new, for joining us. We hope you were informed and entertained. And always remember, if you are talking about it, so are we. to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.